today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The conviction of the Christian scriptures is that the net result of what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ is that he has not only saved us for a future destiny, but that he has also remade us into a brand new kind of people. And that kind of people is a kind of people more fully human. Switchfoot had a song a, couple, a decade or so ago called a, a, new way to be, a New Way to Be Human. Any of you remember that song, New Way to Be Human? I guess you don't. Well, it's older than most of you. But uh, it's a beautiful song, uh, as, as are many of their songs, that talk about um, God making us a different kind of humanity. And that really is the message of Ephesians that we've been looking at as we've been taking our overall look at this book here the last several weeks, is that when God saves us and, and forms us into a new community, he's trying to create a new kind of person. The old divisions no longer are the same. It used to be Gentile versus Jew and black versus white, male versus female, rich versus poor, all those kinds of divisions. But now there is a brand new humanity that God is developing. In the book of Ephesians, it says he has created in himself one new man out of the two, or we might say in a more contemporary thought, one new humanity. So what we want to realize is that we, as we face the world, when we follow the ways of Jesus, we become more fully alive than we otherwise would have been. And so there is supposed to be a difference between ourselves and the rest of creation, not because everybody else is bad and we're somehow good, but because uh, we've been able to latch into the life that is ours in Christ. What we offer to people is a new kind of life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in the closing section of this book of Ephesians. That's why he says there, so I say and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, keep in mind, when he writes those words, he's writing to Gentiles. 
By and large, this church is made up as Gentiles. So he's saying, he's not saying that Gentiles are bad people, but he's saying there's a different way of living. I want you to live a different way. And I, what, I, what I'm hoping that you can see here today is that this new way of living uh, is a way of being more fully human. Oh, a way of thinking about this is, one of, is by one of my very favorite movies, which is The Shawshank Redemption. You guys, you guys like that movie? Uh, that is a, a, a really good movie, The Shawshank Redemption. In it, you have sort of a parable of this whole problem. You have a whole, is there another slide, Kurt? You have a whole community of people inside these prison walls, for the most part, who only know life within that prison. They only know life within that prison. And I'm assuming you're all pretty familiar with this story. It's, it's just one of my favorites. And you have um, uh, uh, this gentleman here who goes in. What was his name again? I forget his name. Andy. Andy Dufresne. Yeah, Dufresne is what he got called all the time. He comes in, and he's inside this prison, and he refuses to let that prison define him. That's really the story. And there's a quote that I pulled out that read, uh, uh, the life that's in there, his good friend, Morgan uh, Freeman, is that his name? Um, uh, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. See, the way to survive in the world that people knew was simply to live and never have hope. Andy did not believe that, Dufresne. And so he buys Red a harmonica. Will you play it someday? Why? Hope. He plays a he plays an opera, and it's one of the most beautiful, even if you don't love opera, you love as you hear that music. You remember it? Can you have a visual memory of it? You don't? Oh, man, it's great. You got to listen to that movie again. He gets a record, puts it over, locks himself in, spends some time in the hole. Why? Because he wanted people to fly like the birds. And Red says, I don't know much about what that lady was singing, but I sure felt something when she sang it. Influenced so much about that prison while he was there. Why? Because he had hope. So what we want to see in the few moments that we have here this morning is how can hope make us different people so that we bring hope to our world? How can we see through the illusion of the prison life in which we live, or if to take my Finding Nemo illustration, the aquarium life in which we are trapped, and see that we're bigger, grander, more beautiful more holy, really, than that. So there are three things that Paul talks about in this text that we're looking at. The first is the futility of life apart from Jesus. The futility of life apart from, uh, uh, apart from Jesus. Um, listen to the text. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Go ahead, Kurt. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of thinking. Some of you recognize this picture from before. What Paul is saying here is, again, we're not trying to say these are bad people, but we're people on the inside who don't know how to live on the outside, that the whole worldview is shaped by the walls of this prison. And that's what we're taught in school, aren't we? Our whole worldview is shaped by the bounds of this universe. There is no supernatural beyond it, really. Uh, and so we live as if this life is all that there is. There's a, a futile thinking that occurs when we live outside of, of, of God's plan for us. So I t- I'm going to go on now. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Next, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Now, most of the people inside that prison were not, in fact, all of the people inside that prison were not born in that prison, but most of them had forgotten about life outside of that prison. And it allowed the, the, the rules of the prison to shape their reality. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying about us outside of God. If we live a life separate from God in our life, we, we end up with futile thinking and, secondly, hardness of heart. And so just like the prison becomes sort of a, a brutal place with its own rules and then survival becomes a, um, you know, a, a, a fight to the death in a lot of ways and uh, scraping by, um, that's what happens for us. We develop something called hardness of heart about the good creation that God has made for us, the good people he's designed us to be, the love for beauty and joy and, and even God-given passions. These are made for us by God to be enjoyed, and they become abused for us inside the prison walls in a life outside of God. The, so the futility of life apart from Jesus involves, first of all, futile thinking, hardness of heart, and then going on unfulfilled sensuality. The text goes on to say, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I don't know if you've carefully thought about that verse, but listen to it carefully as I read it and think about your experience and what you see in our world today. Having lost all sensitivity, you know, like burning our tongue with coffee, we burn our tongues on sensuality. And all we can do is crave more. We're never satisfied, sometimes gratified, but never satisfied. You see, having lost all sensitivity, um, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. It's, it's a, a part of our human predicament that because of our separateness from God, we crave what we can get and we want it to be repeated. You know, um, in C.S. Lewis's second book of the uh, space trilogy called Paralandra, uh, Ransom, the main character in that book, finds himself on the, the island of Paralandra, which we discover is actually Venus. And he's on Venus, and he's there, and he sees in that setting... Uh, a pristine, virginal environment where evil has never yet entered and where a new humanity is going to begin. It's really the recreation of the Garden of Eden in, uh, in this island of Paralandra. And, and, but one of the things that first happens when he shows up there, he's hungry. I mean, he's taken a, a, a spaceship to get there. It's a science fiction story or a fantasy. Um, and Ransom takes, and, he, and he's hungry. He wonders what I can eat. And then he, uh, he sees some kind of globular fruit, I think it was kind of a grapefruit or watermelon, something like hanging from the, uh, the sky or from a tree. And he thinks, well, maybe I can eat that. So he takes that, and he takes a bite of it, and he gets the most exquisite flavor. He's famished from flying all the way from, you know, U.S., or from, you know, uh, Earth to uh, Paralandra to Venus. And he takes this, and it's a beautiful, fulfilling, the most wonderful thing he ever ate. And instinctively, Immediately after having eaten that fruit, he starts to reach for another when he realizes, you know, I'm not hungry. That fulfilled me. That was good. And he began to reflect how in earth, one pleasure always requires a second pleasure. 
One joy always requires another joy. But here on this end, he, did, he realized that there was something wrong in the continually seeking after that and the lessening of that, or what we might call the law of diminishing returns, right? Which happens for us every kind of pleasure. See, that's what he means there's there's a continual lust for more. And it certainly is indicative of our world. Whether we think about sensual lust or, the, or, uh, or we think about the... Uh, acquisition of possessions or the enjoyment of food or um, even dessert, you know, how much do you want? Enough till you're stuffed, right? We're just that way or, or relationships or money or homes, all those things. These are all, are all diminishing, dis, diminishments of who we are so that we have become inside the prison walls here, futile in our thinking. Yes, our philosophy in our day is very uh, man-centered, human-centered. It's all about us. It leads us to a hardness uh, uh, of heart and ultimately a loss of all sensitivity and then therefore just the desire to get more and get more. You know, how much drink is enough? Just a bit more. Rockefeller was one time asked, how much money is enough? Just a dollar more, you know. Um, you know, the uh, uh, director of a symphony, Bernstein, was asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play? Second violin, <laughs> you know. Just a little bit more. Always a little bit more. Always wanting more. You know how it is. You get that new car and it just tastes, it smells great for the first week or two. It's like, oh, isn't this great? And then what do you need? It gets old. And we, you see, this is indicative of our society. There is a futility, and these are simple things, but there's also reality that this affects the way of our whole life. So uh, it's hard for us to simply enjoy being alive. And we develop a, a push-me-pull-you approach to society because we all want to get more. The, the place we want to be is right where the other guy is. That's kind of our whole, if you think about it, that's what characterizes our life. And it diminishes us as human beings. We become human doings or human feelings or human gettings, not human beings. The futility of life apart from Jesus. That's what he's talking about to these Gentiles who are now called to live a little bit differently. See, these people in Ephesus were living in a very prosperous, um, proud community. Ephesus was, was on the one. Of, excuse me. Ephesus was one of the top five cities in the world that day. Two hundred. Estimates between 200 to 500,000 people. It was a major commercial center. At that time, it had a harbor come to it, coming into it. Later, it got silted up. It was a major cultural center. It was also a major center of worship for the goddess uh, Artemis or Diana, the version of Diana. And she became a goddess of fertility. And so just outside the temple, you can find the ruins of that even today. If you look on Google, you can tell um, of even a, a, a huge pillar of this massive temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, larger than a football field in size, substantially larger than a football field in size as a large rectangular structure where uh, prostitution was regularly practiced as people, as men would go in order to, to to, to pray for fertility for their wives or fertility for their crops or, or blessing. They would, there were over a thousand temple prostitutes that were there. This was the culture that they lived in. And he's saying, guys, don't buy what you used to buy as being true. It's not true. He wants us to see the futility of life apart from Jesus. Secondly, Paul wants us to see the freedom of life in Jesus. The freedom of life in Jesus, verses 20 to 24, and I put it into a, 
Uh, oh, yeah. And so we see uh, Andy Dufresne as he comes out through. Isn't that a beautiful image? He stands there with his arms out raised like the cross in a cross fashion. This is just as he escapes. Um, do you remember that image? It was a beautiful image in the, in the movie. I, I used it to remind us that we have a freedom as Andy experienced freedom by making his way out through that hell hole of a sewage pile on his way out towards uh, freedom, okay? Ephesians 4.20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's speaking to us here, and you can click one more time, about, I believe, the difference between the old creation and the new creation. We've often thought about the old man and the new man, and this, to me it's, sort of a, it's always been kind of a confusing thing. What does it mean to put off my old self? What does it mean to put off my old, old man? How do, what, what do I do? How do I do? How do I deal? I don't know how to do that. But when I think about ourselves being, I have the remnants of the old creation within me, I want to put on the new creation which is planted within me by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're called to put off the old way of life and to put on the new way of life. This is a way of life characterized by freedom, by living differently, by being a new kind of human, a, a man or a woman fully alive, living uh, in the, all the freedom of, uh, of Christ. Well, then next he gives to us, um, the contrast between futility and freedom. And here he gives us some practical examples in, this, in, the, in the verses which follow, which describe for us life inside the prison versus life outside the prison. Now keep in mind what it is we're called to do, right? Someday we will be free, we'll be outside of the imprisonment, but we're now living as free people within the imprisonment of our culture, you see? We're living as free people, and we're trying to be a little like Andy Dufresne was, cultivating hope in the midst of an environment of despair, okay? So uh, there are several examples that he gives us. The first is he calls us to be speaking the old creation versus the new creation. The next one he gives, the first one he gives us is the difference between speaking falsehood and speaking truth. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully for his, to his neighbor, for you're all members of one body. See, the way of freedom is to speak the word of truth. And you know, our culture really, um, uh, our real, it really sort of affirms duplicity, shading of the truth, not being fully f upfront about things, um, you know, hiding, out, uh, hiding out from others and kind of shielding what's true. Paul says, you know, Inside this prison, that's not the new way. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully for his, to his neighbor. So we're called to bring a message of hope by being the kind of people who speak truly, who don't. This is why uh, I, I get so frustrated when we who 
and, and it happens, I think, with regard to even the, the political climate or those, those political parties that perhaps you feel strongly or those political issues that you feel strongly about, that this is the way it ought to be. When you find those people who represent your views using deceitful means to promote their views, doesn't that bother you? It's like, come on, if, if, if we're right, let's tell the truth. Why do we have to engage in the same kind of uh, mudslinging that others do if we're telling the truth? You see? Speaking the truth. All right? Second, th- second, sinful anger versus godly anger. Going on, it says, um, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He's not here saying that anger is wrong. Our master, Jesus himself, was angry. But when we're angry, we're on a slippery slope, and we don't want to give the enemy a foothold into our lives. So when, we, when, we're, when we're angry, make sure we deal with it appropriately, accepting responsibility. I feel angry when you. Don't say, you make me angry. That's what we usually say. It makes me angry. You make me angry. No, those are all you know, attacking words. The truth of the matter is when you don't say what, do what you say you're going to do, I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel let down. You see, being honest and open and making sure that you um, don't let the sun go down on your anger, that you deal with it, okay? And I know that I struggle with this because things sometimes make me angry and I don't want to make a scene. And so what do I do? I kind of repress it. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? I think that's the that's the Christian sin of anger. <laughs> that's because we were too nice to tell the truth. We think we're helping some people, but instead we either hurt others by by lashing out them in other kinds of ways, or we hurt ourselves with ulcers and that sort of thing by keeping. Anger is meant to sort of pass through you. Emotions are not meant to stay inside of you. It's as unhealthy if you emotions to stay inside you. It's like becoming constipated. And think about how bad that feels. Don't become emotionally constipated with your emotions. Find a way to release those. It's not healthy, okay? So um, the third thing, stealing versus sharing. I have to go quickly through these. Um, uh, He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Just practical things Paul is saying, that we're trying to work not just to get stuff for ourselves but so that we can be generous with others, and we don't try to take advantage of, of others. Hurtful words versus helpful words. Verse 29, this, this would be a good thing to put on your refrigerator and your family if you've got kids at home. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Boy, how much our communication in our homes would change if we practiced that. We husbands and wives, if we would make sure that nothing we say is harmful and hurtful and it's always meant to be helpful, that will occur to help them, okay? I need to go quickly. Uh, strife versus harmony. There's several things here. I just call them strife versus harmony. Get Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. And this, here's the harmony, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We're called to be people who create harmony by being people of forgiveness. And the the bottom line for all this is found in the next couple of verses. The bottom line is, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us as a, uh, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for God. You see, I guess what I want you to see is that when the Apostle Paul is very practical about these things, he's not trying to give us another set of rules to follow, but he's rather saying, let's allow the love of Christ to fill us and flow through us to others. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Andy Dufresne was inside of that place, but finding a way to be a person of hope in a culture of despair. And we saw that there were three people who left that prison, Andy, Red, and Brooks. Brooks couldn't make it. He couldn't make it on the outside. He'd been, as, as Red said, institutionalized. He didn't know how to live anymore. And if you were watching the movie for the first time, you know that uh, Red ends up in the same place as, as Brooks ended up and crawls upon the same uh, uh, wall to scratch something into the wall. And you wonder in the moment, what's going to happen next? Will Brooks have been so, excuse me, Red have been so institutionalized that he couldn't make it on the outside? And then you're just sort of relieved and you find him riding a bus, you know, on the way to look for the treasure which had been promised to him. Well, we're called to be people of hope, and we're called to live differently, but that's not meant to make us legalistic, hard, brittle, angry, condemning. It's meant for us to simply be like Jesus, living a life of love, remembering his love for us as we reflect his love for, one, uh, for this world. And we must never forget that chances are for us, it will be like it was for Jesus. That, that will involve sacrifice. So let's pause in the closing moments that we have to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, that he came showing us a new way to be human, showing us how to be fully alive and giving to us his spirit so that we could enjoy uh, new life in him. Because the Bible teaches us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let's pray before we receive the Lord's Supper. Father, teach us what it means to be people of hope. Help us not to become legalistic and judgmental and angry and, you know, replace one prison for another, as is so easy to do. So many of us in, who follow Christ just create a new prison, a judgmental, critical, I'm better than you prison, not the freedom that comes from knowing that we're forgiven that we have a God who loved us that much. Remind us of this, Father, and may we reflect on you who gave your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.